0: Welcome all to another episode of Finnerin's Wake. This will be another honest, candid book review on a work of which you all should most certainly be apprised. I speak, of course, of white fragility by the renowned authoress Robin D'Angelo. Now, this book review will be best understood and appreciated if you first listen to my previous episode covering Ibram X. Kendi's How to Be an Anti-Racist. Now, I read these uh, sequentially. Uh, Kendi's work first and D'Angelo's second. So, if you go back, listen to that episode, I think you'll more... Well, you're going to enjoy this one uh, more. And, with those introductory and prefatory comments aside, we delve into White Fragility. What follows is my review. Dizzied by the circular logic and incessant tautologies of Mr. Kendi, by whom I felt myself being, chapter after chapter, deliberately misled, I turned to the esteemed professor's compatriot in the fight against racism, Robin D'Angelo in hopes of receiving from her clearer guidance along this troubled path of whiteness, a path from which I'd like to, yet fear I can't, get off. If Kendi is a theorist, D'Angelo is an interventionist. The former floats ideas while the latter implements actions. D'Angelo, far less interested than Kendi in giving us an autobiographical sketch of her life, gets down to brass tacks, telling us the problem—whiteness, what else—and the solution by which that fair-skinned plague can be, if not extinguished, then ameliorated. More on that in a moment. First, it should go without saying that D'Angelo, like Kendi, is a racial essentialist, unlike the honored Dr. Martin Luther King, Jr., to whom race was something more accidental than essential. D'Angelo perceives race as the defining quality of one's being, the one certain feature without which a human simply can't be understood. Having accepted that monistic, reductive point of view, she proceeds to claim that, quote, race will influence whether we will survive our birth, where we will live, which schools we will attend, who our friends will be, what careers we'll have, how much money you'll earn, your health, your lifespan... Etc. So, in a word, race determines everything. Race uber Alice. And race unter Alice. It's at once above and beneath all. It permeates all. Race is omnipresent, inescapable, and determinative of everything in life. It's a kind of new-age Calvinism, a reversion back to that bleak doctrine of unfreedom in whose service many a gloomy life was led. Only now, in its woke, secular, updated version, your life is predetermined not by an omniscient god, upon whose divine mercy and boundless charity your pious supplications might occasionally succeed in having some mollifying effect, but by the amount of pigment in your skin." oh joy. She goes on to repeat the platitude that, quote, race, like gender, is socially constructed, end quote. Here, as in many other instances, she begs the question, are we all in agreement that gender is, in fact, totally socially constructed? Is it not in some ways connected to or at the very least, informed by the immutable characteristics of one's biological sex. So far as I can tell, the two are inseparable. And if race is, as she claims, a purely social construct, can it not be, like gender, easily changed, manipulated, rejected, and cast off? Can a new race, like a new gender, be adopted on the whim of self-identity's want, perhaps then race wouldn't be as deterministic as her previous quote suggests. As it pertains to hate, D'Angelo recognizes three distinct categories, prejudice, discrimination, and racism. The first, prejudice, reflects one's hateful feelings. If sufficiently inflamed, these feelings can then be ignited into action. In the transition from feelings to action, you get discrimination. Racism, the final explosive stage of this hateful hierarchy, occurs when a racial group's prejudice is backed by legal authority and institutional control, in her words. Racism, in brief, is discrimination backed by Power, Power, in her estimation, is the sine qua non for racism. Thus, to those who are impotent, to whom the levers of institutional control have been made inaccessible, behind whom the enforcement of the law is absent, the charge of racism can never stick. In her words, quote, People of color may hold prejudices and discriminate against white people, but they lack the social and institutional power that transforms their prejudice and discrimination into racism End quote. a few months ago, at the joyous outset of the Christmas season, a black man by the name of Daryl Brooks drove his red SUV through a holiday parade in Waukesha, Wisconsin, a quaint little town through whose festive streets a bunch of white people were marching. His heinous act resulted in the deaths of six people. The youngest victim was only eight years of age, and the injuries of sixty-two. To the public's knowledge, the motivations for his crime were, at first, undisclosed. We were left to wonder exactly how a man could be led to such uncivil, reckless, and murderous behavior. Eventually, you know, thanks to the media's curiosity about the matter, these motivations came to light. His stated reason for carrying out this attack was to kill white people. On his social media posts and through the lyrics of his homemade rap songs, he made this intention painfully and repeatedly clear. Would D'Angelo have us believe that this attack was not racially motivated? Was it prejudiced and discriminatory, but not quite racial? No. Racism cannot simply be defined in service to one's ideological agenda, or I should say redefined in service to one's ideological agenda. Uh, To put a finer point on it, she asserts that, quote, only whites can be racist. Because they have the social and institutional power. Every other race is, by the terms of her edict, immune to the charge. Of Barack Obama in passing, she says that he quote, endured insults and resistance previously unheard of. Upon the utterance of whose final syllable, the teetotaler, Trump, leapt up and shouted. Hold my beer. D'Angelo published this book in 2018, at the midpoint of Trump's presidency. Even with two years reigning, by that point, no single president in all of American history had been so viciously insulted. Kathy Griffin wanted him decapitated. Anthony Bourdain wanted him poisoned. Johnny Depp wanted him shot. nor fiercely resisted. Remember the Women's March. The espionage on Trump Tower's servers. The steel dossier, the probe by Fusion GPS, the Mueller report, the first impeachment, the second impeachment. I know, it's a side point, but that doesn't mean it should go overlooked. She then describes the insidious effects of white supremacy, that quiet disease by which almost undetected all our institutions are poisoned and crippled. It is a descriptive and useful term in her mind to capture the all-encompassing centrality and assumed superiority of people defined and perceived as white. Perceived as white, you say? How so? Perhaps in the way that George Zimmerman suddenly became a white Hispanic? Or the way in which Larry Elder, when vying for the governorship of California, became white adjacent, or rather the black face of white supremacy, the despicable term with which the LA Times of all newspapers crowned him. It is white supremacy that, quote, describes the culture we live in, end quote, a culture in her view that, quote, positions white people as ideal, end quote. Again, I'm not sure that's correct. Reflect for a moment on the most beloved figures in our culture. In sports, we adore the likes of LeBron James, Lamar Jackson, Patrick Mahomes, and the immortal Tiger Woods. In comedy, the most bankable stars are Dave Chappelle, Kevin Hart, and Cat Williams. In entertainment, the most celebrated actors are Denzel Washington, Dwayne The Rock Johnson, Jamie Foxx, and, until recently, Will Smith. Our music is dominated by black rappers, singers, and instrumentalists, ranging from Kanye West to Beyonce to Quest Love. Does this really sound to you like a culture atop whose summit white people are undeservedly and disproportionately placed? Or does it sound rather like a culture that celebrates merit, that recognizes genius, for which greatness in any given field is the only true criterion of? Success. D'Angelo goes on to claim that, quote, "Silence is one of the ways that racism is manifest." End quote. She calls it an "imposed silence, as if there were some form of invisible coercion involved. Here, as elsewhere, she commits a fallacy. This claim is wholly unfalsifiable. How does one prove, in a friendly moment of silence interrupting a conversation about sports in which Mark, my black friend, and I are engaged, that racism is suddenly manifest? And according to D'Angelo's theory, the racism is necessarily coming from me. I think not. Finally, she asserts that, quote, white is a false identity, an identity of false superiority. In that sense, she concludes, whiteness isn't real. Well then, in that case, is she not tilting at windmills? Is she not brandishing her sword at distant vaporous clouds? Is not whiteness everything to her? Is it not her summum malum, the ultimate evil, the deeply-rooted oppressive force by which America's been warped, against which her entire philosophy argues. Who's to say? On this point, uh, the work's a bit confused. Yet, that being said, it's still worthy of your time, for no other reason than its impact on the culture. And with that, we complete another honest book review, to which you'll not be treated anywhere else. Now I've actually read these books, I've considered them, I've deliberated over them deeply, and I've given you my best assessment of them. Now you can go on and read them if you wish, or you can just take my advice, (laughs) which as um, as I think is quite sound. Now, if there's any book of which you want me to do a review, please feel free to reach out to my email address. It's fineranswake at gmail.com. That's fineranswake at gmail.com. Or you can visit me on my social media pages. Now, please, if you have the opportunity, if you find this content delightful, educational, worthwhile, subscribe to this channel leave a five-star review, and visit my other sister channel, Numa, P-N-E-U-M-A, Meditations, and enjoy a brief while there. And with that, farewell from Finerings